0: We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 09520 CSX Transportation versus the Alabama Department of Revenue. Mr. Phillips.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The pivotal and, in my judgment, incorrect holding of the 11th Circuit in the Norfolk Southern case is uh, reproduced in the appendix to this case because Norfolk Southern is the controlling precedent for our our particular dispute. And at page 29A of the appendix to the petition, and there the Court of Appeals said that there is nothing in the 4R Acts, plain language, that indicates an intent to reach exemptions from generally applicable sales and use taxes. To our way of thinking, all this case is about whether or not the State has free reign uh, to employ exemptions without exposing the effects of those uh, exemptions, uh, to a challenge under uh, B4 of the statute,
2: but in light of our AFC case, uh, it seems to me that what you're arguing is that the statute, the effect of your argument, is that the statute gives more protection uh, in the case of non-property taxes than property taxes, and that's uh, an, an odd reading of the statute, which is directed primarily to the to the property tax.
1: No, I think Justice Kennedy, what we're doing is recognizing that Congress was very specific and very explicit about how to treat property taxes, and set up an entire quite carefully reticulated scheme in dealing with them in B-1 and B-3, and then said, uh, in general, when you're dealing with areas that are not approved by B-1 and B-3, then you have to examine whether or not the overall scheme, in fact, discriminates against rail carriers. So while it is true that there could be circumstances in which you may end up with somewhat more protection as a consequence of B-4, I think that's a function of Congress not having limited the B-4 exemption. Uh, to property and just saying it's it's a discrimination against the rail carrier generally that the statute is aimed to prevent. Or but
3: what's to prevent the against. what's the possible rationale for that distinction? Why would that distinction make any sense?
1: Well, I think because Congress didn't have the full run mine of possibilities in front of it at that point in time. I mean, it probably had some sense of what other taxes were out there that might pose discrimination. But I do think Congress was very much concerned that the States, once they saw the, the roadmap laid out for them in B-1 through B-3, might seek other ways to recoup what they were going to lose in revenues when the three-year period lapsed, and to be in a position to protect the railroads in the B-4 through B-4 in a situation when there would be future actions taken by the States. Is
3: that in the legislative record?
1: The, no, there's very little in the legislative uh, record, Your Honor, because the the specific formulation of of this uh, b4 uh, catch all provision comes in very very late in the 15 year process uh, every other lower court that, or every lower court that's looked at it has drawn the inference which seems to me the only fair inference to draw when congress said look this is this is not just for in lieu taxes i mean there there was some debate about that going on between the house and the senate and the and the Conference Committee makes it clear. This is not just something that's adopted by the States in lieu of a broader property tax. It is intended, then, to have, I think, the language that you would normally give to a, a term as broad and sweeping as any
4: other tax that discriminates against a rail carriers. Mr. Phillips, uh, this is what troubles me about, about your position. You, you make an, a viscerally appealing case on the facts of this case where— you say that your clients, the railroads, are being taxed more than competing carriers, truckers and, and water carriers. Uh, but if all, if all it says is discriminates and you think that that has to be applied without qualification, then uh, even if, if a state makes an exemption for, you know, Widows over 85, and doesn't make the same exemption for railroads. The railroads win, right? Uh, No, I don't believe that's the necessary. Why? How how do you limit the term uh, discrimination? Just a discrimination uh, in favor of other uh, competing carriers? Well, I think
1: it, it is discrimination that Congress would have intended to prohibit under these circumstances. So I think. In the situation where you're talking about a single exemption for some group that does not compete or otherwise do any business with the railroads, we would not have a basis for saying why, why. Why do you
4: assume way. that that the Congress didn't limit it to that in in the uh, in the property tax exemption?
1: Well, it it, 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 it it did to some extent because there was a whole question about how you you know you had a whole comparative class that Congress defines in the property context. So you make a comparison between industrial and commercial property and the railroads property. So Congress defined the
4: comparison class, but I don't think it's a fair — But not, not just uh, industrial and, and commercial competitors with the railroads. The railroads were to be given, uh, you know, the, the most favored treatment of, of, of all uh, industrial and, and commercial entities, I, I
1: think. To be sure, Justice Scalia, but it was still as compared to the entirety of the commercial and industrial property base, and it was — and the analysis has traditionally been uh, and uh, the averages of the commercial and industrial property, and so you, you know, part of the problem here—it's not a problem—but you know, one of the reasons why you can't make direct comparisons is that because of ACF industries, you don't evaluate exemptions under B one to B three. But in this round case,
2: round? correct. Correct but, me if I'm wrong. Uh, off-road users, agricultural users, and construction timber companies have, right. the, same, have the same tax structure as the railroads. Right. So there is an objective reference, neutral, and it seems to me that it's quite rational to, to put the railroads there and not in the category of road, road users. Now, if, unless you're arguing that discrimination has, has to have a purposive component, uh, that might give you a different case. I'm, I'm not sure you'd prevail on that either.
1: Well, but the, remember, Justice Kennedy, we don't even get to this issue if what you say is that we're going to take all exemptions off the table. And I guess I'd go back to Justice Scalia's point, which is that there's a reason why this is a viscerally satisfying case, because we're talking here about a discrimination. You know, when Congress says we want to, dis- we want to eliminate any tax that discriminates against, the one thing, it seems to me, clearly Congress did not intend to exclude from that was a tax that discriminates against the, the immediate direct competitors of the railroads in a way that would undoubtedly undermine the stability, the financial stability, and success I this, of the railroad.
5: The concern was that, that the interstate actors should not be disadvantaged vis a vis the home people, the local businesses. And that was what was achieved. But you're, you are not complaining about discrimination against the railroad in comparison to local businesses. You, you are complaining about uh, — that you, you're not getting most favored nation treatment vis-a-vis other interstate carriers.
1: That, that's correct, Justice Ginsburg, but I think the premise of your — of your question is the place where we would probably differ, which is, to be sure, Congress intended to protect interstate carriers against uh, discrimination in favor of local operations. Uh, that's clear in B-1 through B-3, and, and otherwise pervades the legislative history. But there's also a significant amount of discussion in that same legislative history to encourage intermodal competition, that is, competition between the railroads and others, both intrastate and interstate. And so it seems to me the, the statute that's, that prohibits all discrimination against rail carriers, identified as carriers, well, so is one suppose, place where you would
2: — Suppose a tax were structured so that um — The same tax applied to railroads and uh, and uh, and motor transport, but because of the way the tax was uh, assessed, uh, the railroads paid far more per mile than 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 the uh, rail than the road transport. Uh, The uh, railroad then come in and say, "Oh, we want to be like the farmers. We're off road." I mean, I can see you making that argument. I, I in, can in see us making mem- that argument. In case I mean, number two. Welcome back. The, that's going to be your argument. Well, I
1: would always like to come back,
2: but I, I don't. I, I think the answer to
1: that is that, again, I think the the court ought to interpret the term discrimination against the clear objectives the Congress intended to fulfill when it protected the railroads this way, and the two protections that are embedded in there is one that Justice Ginsburg identified, which was to protect them against local interests in a way where they have no political influence. And the other one is to protect them against their direct competitors in the intermodal competition realm. And if it's a — and if it's a discrimination that doesn't achieve either of those, then it seems to me you either say they are uh, not similarly situated or you would would hold that the State has a legitimate reason for doing what it's doing, and that that's just not a discrimination within the meaning of the statute.
4: so, so 85-year-old widows uh, uh, would be covered. That, that would be a discrimination, because, you know, they're only resident uh, 85-year-old widows who are covered, right? Well, they would have a — they would be, to be sure, a local interest. But I think the,
1: the problem with this is, and it goes to the core argument that the State makes, which is, you know, how, do you, how are you supposed to define local business for these purposes? And I don't think the an- the answer to that is I have no way to know that, because Congress didn't Purport to define the comparison class for purposes
4: of B4, but it seems to me that when Congress says, "I, I, I, I any agree other with that. tax. And, I agree with that, and that 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 makes me suspect that Congress didn't uh, didn't uh, want uh, to uh, uh, forbid exemptions in in, uh, in B4. But it seems to me quite on. I mean, but the the
1: flip side of that argument would would be to say if they imposed a tax of four percent on the railroads and 2 percent on 85-year-old widows, that would be challengeable under B-4 because it's not an exemption, it's a differential. And that, and that the exemption down to zero is tax- is char, uh, attackable under B-4. It seems to me the right answer to this is there's no reason to include your widow as a, as a relative comparison class for purposes of B-4 and get out of that problem as opposed to setting this up. To me the fallacy of this analysis is to try to use exemptions and say that there's something special about exemptions beyond the B-1, B-3 context where Congress clearly acted, recognizing that it had to protect the State's ability to have exemptions for property taxes. But then Congress goes to non-property taxes and to other taxes not covered by B-1 and B-3. Then it seems to me you have to — you just should change the analysis. Look at whether or not similarly situated are being treated differently, and if there's any kind of state justification for that. And if not, go through the analysis in the way and and protect the railroads precisely the way the Congress meant for them to be protected.
5: Mr. Phillips, are you saying that that the railroads have to be taxed in the very same way as say uh, the the trucks? Because one answer to your argument is. Well, they haven't uh, created a non-tax situation for the other interstate carriers, they're just subject to a different tax. The motor carriers have to pay motor fuel tax. So are you saying to the State of Alabama you have to have the same uh, sales tax, use tax for everyone, you can't have a motor fuel tax for one and a sales tax for the other?
1: I think ultimately, my conclusion would be that you can 't have one you can 't have this kind of a tax on us and not tax the motor carriers the same way, but I do think it 's important to recognize two considerations, at least as this case comes to this court. one is that the state and the trial court conceded that the appropriate comparison class was the motor and water carrier so the, the, the question of who is who 's in the, properly in the comparison class has never been adjudicated and second. It seems to me that the question of what constitutes discrimination is not the issue in this case. The only question in this case is whether there is something special about exemptions that makes them off-limits to the B-4 inquiry. And so I think, candidly, Justice Ginsburg, while I'm quite certain that Alabama and I would disagree fundamentally about how to approach this, it doesn't seem to me that that's a question that this Court should, should tarry long over and instead ought to simply evaluate the very narrow question that was both presented by the holding below, and presented in a petition as it came through the, the Solicitor General's invitation stage, which, again, as I say, very narrowly focuses exclusively on exemptions. Well, and why is the, the,
5: the course of the Court, uh, taking account of what you said, that the, the um, provision about other taxes came out very late in the day? they had spent a lot of time talking about the property tax. And the property tax, we know they wanted to preserve the exemptions. So why not take this latecomer with sparse uh, discussion and say, well, we'll assume that they want to treat that with regard to exemptions the same way that they treated property tax, which was the big ticket item,
1: Well, I think part of the reason it may well be because the property tax was a big-ticket item, so that you you were trying to protect certain State interests, and Congress did it very clearly. I think it is quite a remarkable stretch of of construction of the statute for the Court to say we're going to take this very carefully reticulated scheme, which creates the inference that Congress meant to protect these kinds of uh, exemptions uh, for the States, and say we're going to now incorporate that wholesale when Congress didn't use language that that in any way compares. It didn't include — it didn't limit it to uh, railroad property. It didn't define a class in any particular way, and instead basically said what we need here is something that will protect the railroads when the States become more innovative and come forward with additional problems and — and — we will leave it to the courts, unfortunately. I recognize that doesn't, that's not the most satisfying solution, sometimes, but we'll leave it to the courts to decide what forms of discrimination we would have intended to preclude because we're here to protect the railroads. If there are no further questions, I'd like to reserve the my time.
0: Thank you, Mr. Phillips. MS. SHERRY.
6: MR. CHIEF JUSTICE, and may it please the Court. The only question that the Court needs to resolve today is whether a non-property tax that's imposed on a rail carrier but from which its competitors are exempt can ever be another tax that discriminates against a rail carrier under subsection B4. The answer is yes. A lot of the Court's questions focus on some of the difficulties that are inherent in a discrimination inquiry. But, as Mr. Phillips pointed out, those difficulties are just as inherent in a discrimination inquiry under B4, whether we're talking about exemptions or whether we're talking about differential tax rates, whether we're talking about any other type of discrimination claim that could be brought under B4. And that is the very nature of B4. It broadly prohibits another tax that discriminates against a rail carrier, and inherent is that is the notion that courts are going to have to decide what it means to discriminate.
7: Do you think we have to decide whether the appropriate comparison class is the the rail carriers' competitors or some broader class?
6: I don't think the court has to decide it. As Mr. Phillips pointed out, that was an issue that was conceded below by the state, at least at this stage of the proceedings. And they acknowledge that in note seven of their brief. And so it wasn't something that was addressed by the 11th Circuit below. I think to the extent the Court wants to address it, it should reject the notion that the only comparison class in a B-4 case, no matter what the B-4 case looks like, is all other commercial and industrial taxpayers. And I think the Court should reject that primarily because that's not what the text says. If you look at the language of B-4, it talks about another tax that discriminates against the rail carrier. Congress easily could have said, another tax that discriminates against a rail carrier as compared to other commercial and industrial taxpayers, and it didn't do that. And, and, Justice Ginsburg, to your question involving whether we should be focusing on interstate versus local businesses and whether that was Congress's focus, of course, that was, cer- that was certainly one of their concerns, but the reason that doesn't work is if you look to even subsections B1 through 3, the comparison that's very clearly spelled out there is not between local businesses and interstate businesses. It's between rail transportation property and, and other commercial and industrial property. Now, that other commercial and industrial property can be owned by an interstate business like Walmart just as easily as it can be owned by a local coffee shop. And so I think to suggest that the only thing Congress wanted to prohibit was this local interstate uh, type of discrimination it is not borne out by the text. If you look at subsection B 4 we think the language speaks for itself. It speaks broadly of another tax that discriminates against a rail carrier. Another question that a, a, number, uh, a number of you have asked is why Congress would want to treat property taxes exemptions differently than non-property tax exemptions. And I think the answer has to come from the text. In ACF, this Court concluded that Congress did not want to prohibit property tax exemptions based on the text of the statute and its structure. And when it comes to non-property taxes, the text of the Act and the structure of the Act simply tell a different story, and that has to be the best indicator of what Congress intended. Again, Subsection B-4 speaks broadly of another tax that discriminates against the rail carrier. This Court has long recognized the taxes can discriminate in a number of different ways, including by granting some taxpayers an exemption and not granting that exemption to other taxpayers. That's the ordinary meaning of discriminates, and the broad and unqualified language in B4 is easily susceptible to that meaning. Ms. Sherry,
3: there seems to be a question as to what remedy somebody would be entitled to uh, under Subsection C in a challenge brought against a tax exemption. So what's the government's position on that?
6: The government's position first with respect to subsection C is that it is a broad grant of jurisdiction to the district courts to adjudicate all violations of subsection B, and that seems clear from the first sentence in that provision. I'd also note that the arguments that were made with respect to subsection C in this case were brought up by the government in ACF, and in ACF the government explained why the best reading of subsection C is a broad grant of jurisdiction over all violations of subsection B. That's clearly what Congress intended. While Congress intended to provide a substantive right for rail carriers to come into court and claim discrimination on one of the four uh, — under one of the four subsections, it also intended to provide a federal forum. And the reason that it did that was because, at the time, rail carriers were having a very hard time bringing claims in state court. The Tax Injunction Act was out there then as it is now, and it does provide an exemp- — exception, rather. For when state court remedies are not plain, speedy, and efficient.
5: I think Justice Kagan meant to ask, assuming that we say yes, it it, it applies. Uh, exemptions don't count anymore. Don't uh, are included in whether there's discrimination. And the court finds discrimination between the way the railroad is taxed, the way motor carriers are taxed. What? What then? What is the remedy?
6: I think in that type of case, the remedy would be for the rail carrier to be exempt from the tax, and that's because what subsection C provides without,
5: without putting on the. I mean, the motor carriers do have the tax.
6: <coughs> oh, I, I apologize. I should back up. I'm assuming that that when you said um, that the court found that there was discrimination, the court had already engaged in inquiry as to whether or not this other tax compensates for or provides a justification for any differential treatment. If the the court were to find discrimination but find that maybe, you know, 50 percent of the tax was compensated by this other tax, it could uh, remedy that situation by only enjoining, and it should remedy the situation, by only enjoining the discriminatory portion of well, the tax.
0: Well, well, but in any case when you have discrimination, you can remedy it by reducing the, the tax, for example, in this case, on the railroad, or by increasing the tax on the people who are otherwise exempt,
6: and a decision
0: that, I suppose, would be left at some point or another up to the State.
6: It would certainly be left up to the State, and the State could choose to remedy it in, in any number of different ways, including the one that Your Honor suggests. But the remedy that's actually provided for in subsection C for the Federal Court to issue is to enjoin the discriminatory portion of the tax. And the focus no, is but on the the
0: discriminatory, tax. the discriminatory portion of the tax may be regarded as the excess that 's imposed on the railroad or the deficiency on on the others
6: i, I think it 's better understood as 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 um As speaking specifically to the tax itself and and not to the tax exemption. And in fact, in the at the cert stage, when the government suggested a reformulated question presented, it reformulated the question to better focus on the fact that this is a challenge to a discriminatory tax and not to a discriminatory tax exemption. And I think the state Um, in in its supplemental brief at the search stage acknowledge that that is the better way and the correct way, in fact, to look at these type of challenges and what the appropriate remedy would be.
2: You present the case to us as if it's either or, that we must either, in disagreement with your position, uh, say that it doesn't apply to exemptions or that if it applies to exemptions, it must be remanded. Can't we say that exemptions uh, uh, are not covered by the Act unless — the railroad is a target, uh, an isolated target, and it's clear that it's uh, discriminatory. I mean, do we have to have your either-or position?
6: I don't know that the Court has to, has to go with one or the other, but I think the Court should not hold that it only applies to exemptions to the, ex- to the extent it's the type of tax where it's generally applicable on its face, but everyone is exempt except for the rail carriers or everyone's exempt. Except for the rail carriers and maybe some targeted and isolated group, as as this Court recognized in ACF. And the reason I think that is so is because that's what the language provides in B4. Certainly Congress was concerned with taxes that would single out a rail carrier, but that wasn't their only concern. And and an example I I, have thought of that I think helps put that into some perspective is I think Alabama would concede that if instead of imposing a generally applicable sales tax It had a separate excise tax on diesel fuel for use in locomotives. And it was a 4 percent tax. looks exactly like the one we're looking at, except it's a separate excise tax. That that would be the type of singled out tax that could be challenged under B4. And it makes little sense to say that a a state could basically insert that type of tax into a generally applicable sales tax, and that would be immunized from any Scrutiny. The adverse economic impact on the rail carriers is the same whether you're looking at a singled-out tax or whether you're looking at a generally. It doesn't
4: make any any sense. You're quite right, but but Congress uh, thought it made sense in one to three, so why doesn't it make sense in four?
6: I, I think <laughs> you
4: know, that's the argument.
6: I, I think the the reason that Congress thought it made sense in one through three, and the reason that this court in ACF concluded that Congress wanted to permit t- property tax exemptions is because of the language of 1, two, one through three and because of the very specific comparison class that's provided there that's noticeably absent from B-4 and, in fact, really wouldn't work in B-4. And what I mean by that is if you look at B-1 and you look at B-3, it's a comparison between rail transportation property on the one hand and commercial and industrial property on the other. And as we all know, commercial and industrial property is specifically defined to — may I finish?
0: You can finish the sentence.
6: (laughs) I don't know if I will get to the point, but uh, (laughs) — You use a lot of conjunctions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised.
0: (laughs) Don't even try.
6: (laughs) Point is, B4 doesn't talk about property. It talks about discrimination against the rail carrier, and the comparison class is nowhere to be found in that subsection.
0: Thank you, counsel. General Mays?
8: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, Justice Kennedy, you hit on the proper definition of a tax that discriminates in this case. A tax that discriminates under B 1, 2, and 3 is a tax that singles out railroads as compared to the general mass of taxpayers. So, another tax that discriminates is a tax that singles out railroads as compared to the general mass of taxpayers. The pivotal question in this case <coughs> is the one raised by Justice Kagan and Justice Scalia, and that is why in the world? Would Congress, on the one hand, say, you can exempt property taxes under this statute, but you can't, we are prohibiting sales and use tax exemptions, when for 15 years Congress never had a single hearing, a single study, and never even heard a single complaint from the railroads about discriminatory sales and use taxes. Well,
2: it may be because the universe of non-property taxes is uh uh, it's in, so infinitely large that there's a much greater room for disre much greater danger of discrimination. We know all states have property taxes
8: right but uh, again, I think the answer is what Justice Ginsburg was pointing out that We would say the United States and and CSX still has not come up with a good reason. They basically said the United States said you just look at the statute and it tells a different story. There are three good reasons that Congress would have intended and the Court should read property tax exemptions and non-property tax exemptions to be read the same way. And the first one is, is the one that Justice Ginsburg was pointing out. The purpose of the statute was to protect out-of-state, interstate businesses from being easy prey in the State Legislature. They don't have voting power. But if you put an interstate business in the generally applicable tax scheme, that means they're paying the same tax as the local businesses and the local taxpayers, they are protected. If the tax rate goes up, the local businesses, the local taxpayers will protect them. If too many exemptions occur, the local taxpayers and the local businesses will protect them. Well,
7: you're you know? arguing Ouch. in favor of — you're arguing in favor of a very idiosyncratic interpretation of the concept of a discriminatory tax, aren't you? In, in almost any other context, granting tax exemptions to one group but denying them to another group would be viewed as, uh, if there isn't a good reason for drawing the distinction, as discrimination, wouldn't it?
8: Yeah. So I definitely agree as an abstract matter, an exemption could be a tax that discriminates. But what Congress has told us in 1 through 3 with regard to property taxes is you can grant an exemption. And Congress didn't want to — and they also told us — And it
7: did so with explicit language by in in, sub — what is it? uh, A4, by referring to property that is subject to a property tax levy. So what you're saying is that the the ordinary interpretation of the concept of a discriminatory tax should not be applied here because Congress used specific language — to take tax exemptions out of the determination of discrimination under other provisions
8: uh, my, what my, sense
7: does that make'm I'm so, I'm sorry what sense does that make where the fact that they specifically took it out of some provisions but not out of this provision, you think leads to the implication that they meant to, to put it in here too, where they could have easily used language here to put it in?
8: Right, well, I would say that congress wasn 't even thinking about non property tax exemptions when they wrote before but but the answer is our argument is to say that we understand from the structure of the statute as a whole that congress didn't intend to preempt the state's ability to issue taxes How can me, not may, a- I, can.
3: may i pose a hypothetical so that i understand and i think it follows up on what justice alito was saying let's assume all taxes are equal between water carriers and railroads except there is an excise tax 4% on the railroads right. 2 percent on the water carriers, right. everybody else pays 4 percent. On your theory, is
8: that discrimination or not? No, because they're paying the generally applicable 4 percent tax. Again, remember,
3: in the property but tax But this is not an exemption area. So you're — so what meaning do you give — that's what I'm trying to figure out. Are you saying — what meaning are you giving to discrimination at all, other than Unless we accept that the class always has to be the commercial class.
8: i I'm giving the meaning, the same meaning the Court suggested in ACF, that is, B-4 is a tax. Another tax that discriminates is one that singles out the railroads.
0: Well, Well, you can single out the railroads through exemptions. I mean, let's say you have a tax of $1,000 uh, <coughs> per mile per day for anything that uses a thoroughfare in the State. Uh, however things that use roads, waterways, uh, you know, the long list that in effect leaves only the railroads exposed. You're saying that can't be regarded as a tax that discriminates against the railroads?
8: I'm saying that a tax that in effect in the end singles out the railroads because they're the only one that pay it, mm-hmm. that would be discrimination. Oh, okay.
0: In- so what if there's only only two that pay it, you know, only Uh, It applies only to railroads and and bicycles.
8: Well, then again, the the, the tax wouldn't be generally applicable. This is what the court went over in ACF. In this case, the the parties have agreed. So we
0: can determine that a tax is not generally applicable based on the exemptions. If everybody else is exempt, well, it's not generally applicable. If just bicycles are also exempt, then it's not generally applicable. We have to look at the exemptions to decide whether there's discrimination.
8: No, actually, you're not supposed to look at the exemptions at all. If you think about property taxes, when you have a generally applicable property tax, exemptions are removed from the comparison class at all. All you're looking at are the the businesses that pay the tax. And in that case, as long as the businesses that pay the tax are paying the same rate. So if there's
3: 100 businesses, where does the line between signaling out the railroad get drawn when they exempt 98 when they exempt 97 when they exempt 95 or is it at 80 where where do we draw the the signaling out if a state says the general tax is four percent but everybody but how many
8: are exempted well again i would i would say that you use the phrase sing- i know that singling out is not the best answer that the lower courts have looked at it we've seen cases where even 80 percent, as long as 20 percent of the businesses in the state are paying it, it's generally applicable. What
3: what sense would there be for Congress to use the word discriminating and intend in the hypothetical I gave you earlier that railroads will pay 4 percent like everyone else, but their competitors, for no reason other than that the state wants to favor the water carrier, is only paying 2 percent? what 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 conceivable reason would congress want that differential to exist because congress understood
8: that exemptions for individual business I'm talking are, about an exemption right. I'm talking about a rate difference if if you are given a rate difference a benefit of any kind to an individual business congress understood that that is important to the states let's say for example we have a business who's had an economic crisis or we want to bring a new business into the state. Congress understood that's important <laughs> to the state tax policy. The point of the statute was simply to put the railroads on equal footing. Again, if you think back to property taxes, we can treat trucks however we want to. We could exempt them. We could treat them at a different rate, as long as the railroads are paying an equal rate to the general mass. It's not discrimination. So, unless there's a commodity
7: that's that is purchased by only railroads and one other class. And there's a 4 percent sales tax on this commodity, but the other class is exempt from the tax. Now, is that, is that discrimination against the railroad? Can you explain th- the classes again? Let's say there's some commodity that is purchased only by railroads and truckers. Okay. And there's a 4 percent tax on the commodity, but truckers are exempt from the, from the tax. Is that discrimination against the railroad, even though it it's, takes the form of uh, it 's not discrimination against the railroad because it takes the form of a tax exemption
8: no again, in that instance, like the court said in ACF, that would be a case in which the railroads have been singled out because only two businesses were paying the tax, one has been exempted, then the railroads were the only
7: one left but I think to pay. once you say that, you, that your argument that exemptions can 't count as discrimination is destroyed well, because you 're conceding that an exemption can constitute discrimination right? at
8: that point, as the court said in ACF. It's not an exemption scheme anymore. At this point, it's just a tax on the railroads. And again, there's no reason in the text or the structure or the history of the Act to treat property taxes any differently than than sales and use taxes. Well, then we need
2: it. Then you need to give us a test. And the test is whether or not the railroad is singled out as a target group. Yes. discrimination. something, and, something like and that.
8: And that's, that's, the, that's the test that Judge Posner gave in the pre-ACF case. That's the test that the Court suggested in ACF. That's the test that the Eleventh Circuit used here.
0: You know, one of the problems I'm sorry. Just so sort I of follow. What it, and that test says what?
8: The test is a general as long as it is a generally applicable tax that does not single out or target the railroads, it is not subject to
0: challenge. In fact, the Court so and I'm sure I'm just repeating myself here, so that it doesn't single it out if there's one additional business or or line of business subject to the tax, no matter how small that exemption is.
8: You mean uh, how small the business is that's actually paying the tax? Right. That's a question for the Court. Excuse me. Choked. Um, That that would be a question for the Court, yes.
0: Exactly. So the Court can — has to decide, even when you're dealing with exemptions, Whether or not that discriminates against the railroad. Right, but it is the same. Well, that right, I think, means you lose the case, at least as the question presented has been um, uh, addressed, because all we are deciding, I understand you think we ought to decide more, but all we are deciding is can B4 ever come into play when the discrimination arises from an exemption?
8: No, the question presented precisely is whether a State's exemptions of rail carrier competitors but not rail carriers from a generally applicable sales and use tax. In this case, we've already presumed that the fact has been established that this is a generally applicable tax. The Eleventh the Circuit has already made that determination. CSX and the United States agree with it. There's no question in this case that it's generally applicable. The only question is, is under the test we've just articulated, does it single out the railroads? No. Everybody agrees it's a generally applicable tax. Thus, is a matter of law it cannot be another tax that discriminates. Again So to
3: answer that question, you're telling us that we have to define what discrimination is?
8: I think inherently you have to understand what another tax that discriminates is before you can say whether something is subject to challenge as another tax that discriminates. You know, one of Justice Scalia's points earlier was, to Mr. Phillips, there's no limiting principle if you treat property tax exemptions differently than non-property taxes. And not only can they change the comparison class, the railroads do. They'll argue against the state's different comparison classes. Take Justice Kennedy's example. If the local farmers are exempt, they would argue that that is discrimination against interstate commerce. Again, the phrase Congress used to bind the four together. We've, We've had cases at the same time that Burlington Northern was arguing the diesel fuel cases on an interstate competitor class they 've turned around at the same time in Wyoming and argued that a coal transportation tax was discriminatory because it singled them out versus that 's the, the way
0: that 's what railroads do but uh, <laughs> but it still doesn 't get to the question that in courts in each particular case we 'll be able to decide, to decide even under your test, whether it singles out railroads. The only question I have is that whether singling out means railroads have to be the only business subject to it. Or if it has to be, you know, some theory, Justice Kennedy was looking for a test, and I don't know if we've got a workable one, uh, to, to decide when it's really discriminating against the railroad and when it's the exemptions are just the way taxes normally work.
8: And, again, if we adopt the test, which we believe is the right test, the Eleventh Circuit has already done it in this case. This, this would be a question for another case. Again, there is no more generally applicable tax than Alabama's 4 percent don't sales tax. MR.
9: Don't you haven't you just pushed all the difficult questions into the word generally applicable? I mean, imagine a fuel tax applies to everybody in the State, but then we exempt everybody who does business in the State with fuel, except for railroads. Right. All right. Now, you want to call that not a generally applicable class? Do you want to call it a, uh, a discrimination against railroads? Uh, it seems to me about the same question. Right. All right. So why isn't the easiest thing to say, since there are so many other questions involved in discrimination? Yes. The clause applies. What counts as a discrimination is an obviously difficult question, and we will send it back for somebody else to wrestle with this since it's so difficult.
8: Here's the problem that the State has with that, and you've almost channeled what Mr. Phillips said earlier, that we leave it to courts to determine discrimination. Well,
9: what's the choice?
8: Well this is a State tax. Under the clear statement rule, you know, we detrimentally rely on these statutes when we determine whether we can tax someone or not. Now, you know, if the courts were to say you can't prospectively tax because you lose, that's one thing. But we have taxed the railroads. I the realize that, but what
9: they're worried about is that somebody this having passed on the property level right. thinks I have a great revenue-raising idea. What we do is tax the New York Central. And then they sit down with a bunch of lawyers, and the lawyers say, oh, great. They come through this state. What we'll do is we'll have a tax that applies to all fuel, and then we'll exempt everybody except the New York Central. All right? Great. We've now found a replacement of the revenue that they just said in Congress we couldn't have in the first three
8: provisions. Right. And, and again, that would be the test that we've talked about. Well, No, because
9: it's, you're saying, oh, that's not generally applicable. They say, sure it is. Read the first line. It applies to everybody. And uh, so you say, no, no, that's a trick because of the second line. So now what we'll do is we'll monkey around with it a little bit, and uh, we'll make it tough. All I am saying is that's precisely the same question in that context as whether it discriminates or not. I'm not saying it's an easy question. I'm just saying it might be clearer if we said, yes, the thing applies. Now go work out the hard question of whether you've got a discriminatory tax.
8: and and again the the problem we would have with that is now you're going to have two different definitions of what another tax that discriminates in b4 for property taxes which csx agrees applies to property taxes well with property taxes uh, the language
4: language i didn't understand your last point what was
8: it csx argues on page eight and nine of the reply brief that with regard to property taxes b4 would apply if the tax singles out the railroads but now they're arguing another tax that discriminates the very same phrase means any differential treatment of any kind when it comes to non-property taxes. To agree that the test would be different is not only not clearly required by the statute, it would be illogical because what happens is you can have an infinitely broad definition of discriminate. Any treatment that we do differently... For non-property taxes is discrimination, which not only does it make no most favored taxpayer, they might as well be considered charities, billion-dollar charities. We we could never tax them at all because we exempt someone from every single tax we levy. For example,
9: you're assuming how the court will decide the word discriminate. Yes, I understand what you're saying, and so would every other judge. And of course, it's hard to figure out in these contexts what is a real discrimination, but there could be obvious cases. And so why cut out the obvious cases simply because it's hard in a non-obvious case to figure it out?
8: Because Congress didn't clearly put in the statute that we want a different definition for discrimination. You no, know, but there's no
9: way. There's no way with the property. The property tax is tough. And once you start taking exemptions into account, it's double tough, and there's very little need is there. Every state in the country has property taxes, and every state in the country has property taxes on uh, uh, businesses. And, and it might not be so that every state in the country has particular taxes on diesel fuel. And it might be that they don't have taxes on rails. Or they might be that, you see, so I, 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 that's how I'm explaining it to myself. What do you think?
8: I think that if — well, first of all, every every state taxes diesel, at least for truckers, and most do for the trains. But if Congress were really thinking about this, they should have told us what discriminate means. And I think that, honestly, I think we should go across the street and have them tell us. But — but they're not here. And, and yeah. what we're saying is, is the easiest way to do this and the proper way to do it is simply to read the test to be the same for property and non-property taxes. If the test is singled-out railroads, when you're talking about property taxes, it should be the same. again the point would be we can't tax at all non-property taxes at all if the definition literally is any differential treatment congress never would have intended to literally prohibit state well it's not quite them. it's not
3: quite that you forget the other part of the test which is without a reason now the other side hasn't defined what a legitimate reason would be and that's a separate inquiry but If there is a some form of legitimate reason to treat people differently, I think the other side saying that's okay.
8: I I think the other side would tell you that we can't give a justification. Again, be one. Well, in their particular
3: facts of their case, I mean, that's what they have to come up and explain to us what's the what's the um, defining principle of acceptable or unacceptable different treatment because. Uh, it can't be. You're right. Logically, it can't be most favored taxpayer status.
8: But that is logically what would happen.
3: Well, so far, yes. Unless they
8: can give a, a <laughs> they a haven't articulated a way yet to prevent that from happening. Yeah, but I, I don't
4: understand why you think it, it is. It is more articulable on your theory than on theirs. I I don't see how we're solving your predictability problem. You're worried about it. You know, we don't know how to tax anymore. I don't know why it's any more certain. If we, if we say uh, uh, the, the key is whether it's a generally applicable tax, then it is if we say the key is whether it discriminates against railroads. I mean, it's the same inquiry. So what do you care? It's just as, just as unpredictable ex ante. It, it's exactly the same inquiry, whether it's generally applicable or whether it discriminates against railroads. Isn't, isn't, isn't that what you've been saying? What
8: I've been saying, yes, is a tax doesn't discriminate. So it's twiddle-dumb or
4: twiddle d. Maybe we should, uh, you know, uh, dismiss this as improvidently granted. It doesn't make any difference.
8: I, I would have no problem if you dismissed it as, <laughs> <laughs> as improvidently granted. I would, I would certainly accept that. And again, it, if the, the test is the same, the Eleventh Circuit's already answered the question.
9: No, but it's not quite, because this is the same problem I was raised. You've just shoved all the difficult questions into generally applicable. But you might think of some new ways of doing it, what they don't want. And so I'd worry about giving you just the decision where the word in the statute is discriminate. And nowhere does it say generally applicable. I'd somewhat worry about whether this statute shoves the same problems into two words that aren't there, as to rather leaving those problems for resolution under the one word that is the, there.
8: The statute actually does use the word generally applicable. If you'll turn to page 25 of the joint appendix. I'll
9: believe you. I'll believe you. <laughs>
8: Well, but it, it makes a good point in the original version of B3 you could not levy a tax against an ad valorem property tax at a tax rate higher than the tax well, the, word you are, the word
9: the word I was looking at is for impose another tax right. that discriminates against a rail carrier providing transportation subject to the jurisdiction of the board under this part. Now I read all the words of 4 and I found the word discriminates And I did not find the two words generally applicable.
8: Right. And you'll find the word discriminate at the beginning of the the section as well, saying each of these discriminate against interstate commerce, meaning they all discriminate in the same manner. Again, if you think about it, when you have a specific provisions or several specific provisions followed by a general, you have to give some independent effect to the specific provisions. Here's the problem with CSX's argument. The independent effect. That they're giving B one, two, and three for property taxes is that they are narrowing the prohibition on discriminatory property taxes from the infinitely broad "anything goes" discrimination test for all property taxes, which again is illogical. When the only thing Congress talked about for fifteen years was discriminatory property taxes. Council, I,
0: I do you think um, Section eleven five hundred one c is relevant to these disputes? Because one thing 11.501C does is give the State a little bit of a break. They recognize that it's hard to have exact equality in terms of ad valorem property assessment. So what does it say? So you had a 5 percent wiggle room. Yeah. And couldn't you, if we rule against you when you get back and other State uh, officials say, look, the one thing we don't have to worry about is being precise, We've got some wiggle room. So we can exempt the the 85-year-old widow. We can, you know, exempt the farm property. We've just kind of got to get it close so that somebody looks at it and they'll say, well, it doesn't really look like they're discriminating against railroads. Why why isn't that— pertinent, and why doesn't it well, respond to a lot of your concerns?
8: Textually, that's a problem, because the 5 percent sentence only applies to assessment ratio problems in B-1 and B-2. and the ret- no, 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 I
0: know. I'm, I'm using that not as saying this is applicable to right. B-4, but that it gives you an idea that Congress didn't have a precise, absolute rule, and you go, you know, one inch over the line and you're in trouble.
8: I, I don't think at that point the courts have any idea what they can do. Well, what what? How did the State know what is over the line and what's not? I mean, now- we know as long as we subject them to our generally applicable tax, which is what all the states did when the Four R Act passed. But
4: you don't know what generally applicable means.
8: It, it simply means. That or at you least apply I don't know. Rate. How do you know? Because I know that everyone who pays the diesel fuel tax pays four percent. It generally applies to everyone. A, a problem that you have with subsection C again, and that the United States and CSX has avoided so far, is it is a jurisdictional problem, and it's been raised by one of our meeky. Even if. There's a B4 violation, which we obviously don't agree that there is. It says that no relief can be granted unless you have an assessment value problem of plus or. Five well, it clearly it
0: clearly applies to B1 through three, and it's got nothing to do with B4 because it can't apply to B4.
8: Well, then it says B4 is not granted. a prop
0: before the whole point is it's not a property tax you don't have ad valorem assessment so the details limiting jurisdiction when you do have ad valorem taxes don't apply to this case at all
8: the, the problem with that is that CSX's argument is now you're reading into Congress's intent for the statute and the moment you open up to what Congress's intent for the statute is we know that Congress didn't intend to make railroads the most favored taxpayers in any way the railroads actually said that themselves if you start reading intent, into the statute. The intent was simply to put them on equal footing. So you'd have to read B4 to say just like property taxes and non property taxes, as long as they're subject to a generally applicable tax, there is no discrimination. You're not subject to challenge. So again, I don't think that would, would be an issue. Now, one of the problems I see that the court has is this fear that the states are going to take a generally applicable tax and then all of a sudden start exempting everyone. Let's say, for example, to the state of Alabama sales and use tax. It's not going to happen for a very simple reason. Our sales and use tax funds our schools. At the moment we start exempting every single business, our schools don't have any money. We're not going to pick on the railroads by exempting, 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 exempting. The railroads, quite honestly, can't fund our schools. We're having a hard enough time funding them as it is, and we're not going to just target railroads by exemption. So I see that the court might have a problem understanding What's the line with
4: exemptions? But it's just never going to happen. Why is it any different from property taxes? I mean, states would say the same thing about property taxes. Nonetheless, it was felt necessary to specify that, uh, that exemptions don't count for right, deciding whether you're discriminating against no. the railroads.
8: Again, because Congress understood that exemptions are a, an integral part of the state's tax policy. We need to be able to give exemptions to individual businesses. This I'm, is I'm we, having
3: a, a problem. Um, I thought — as you argued it in your brief, the two were only arguing that states can tax-exempt. But you're asking us to rule more broadly to say that states can treat, uh, impose taxes differently. Um, So it doesn't really matter that it's a tax exemption. You're just saying if the tax is a positive imposition or a negative one, taking someone out, it doesn't matter.
8: Right, because that's the way it works for property tax. Let me be very clear what we're asking the Court to hold. On page 335 of ACF, this is what the Court held in that case. A State may grant exemptions from a generally applicable ad valerum property tax without subjecting the taxation of railroad property to challenge under B-4. All we're asking the Court to do in this case is substitute three words. Ad valerum property is out sales and use taxes in. There's nothing in the language, the structure, or history of the act that would suggest, much less clearly and manifestly mandate, which is necessary under the clear statement rule, that that rule should be any different. Again, it would be illogical, because it would be illogical to think that Congress spent 15 years worried about one problem, and that problem is that the states were discriminating in property taxes. There's one clear, easy way to see that the railroads didn't really believe that this was a clear statement against generally applicable sales and use taxes. This the point was made earlier. The railroads will sue us all of the time to save money. It's very telling that the railroads didn't sue any State, despite the fact we had been taxing this way since the 1930s until the late 80s or early 90s under this theory. Because even they, when they read this statute, understood it to mean only if we're singled out or targeted. That's the way they litigated before for the first decade. It's only when they couldn't win those cases anymore that they changed what they believed it meant. But the fact that this was able, again, sales and use taxes is their most expensive tax. And as they say in the, in the Norfolk Southern Opinion, the third largest expenditure of the railroads is diesel fuel. If the third largest expenditure of, of the railroads is out there to be taken away, the taxes, they certainly would have sued us within the first 10 years if this statute clearly said we couldn't do it. But nobody believed that's what the statute said because Congress never said it in the entire 15-year history, The statute itself, when you read it, doesn't say it. Just as the Court said in ACF, this statute is at best vague on the point of tax exemptions. And in that case, under the clear statement rule, you have to defer to the State. Congress needs to tell us specifically what we can and can't do.
2: What what authority do you have for the proposition that the clear statement rule applies to the exercise of the congressional power in the Commerce Clause? Is that Uh, some, some general rule that we've always had?
8: that ACF actually applied the clear statement rule, not only said it applies, that it compels the ruling in this case of uh, the uh, — the, I'm sorry, I've got the page number. In ACF, you said that was um, — sorry, I just what? Joe a blank all of a sudden. Regardless, it's, it's in ACF, the court said that — sorry, it's page 345 of ACF. The court said, absent unambiguous evidence was one of the quotes, and then at the end it said, you have to show Congress's clear and manifest purpose — And the Court said because you can't see a clear and manifest purpose, because there's no unambiguous evidence, again, because the statute doesn't talk about tax exemptions at all.
9: But in in all these years where they never challenged it, did all these other states not only tax their diesel fuel, but at the same time exempt the diesel fuel tax? From all their competitors?
8: Absolutely. We've been doing it since the 1930s. As you'll you know, see it, this,
9: what, what What's the rationale that the trucks don't have to pay it, but the railroads do?
8: Because Federal law makes us do it. Federal law taxes diesel fuel differently on road, and they make us dye fuel off-road. And because they're taxed differently at the Federal level, the States have had to adopt it. In fact, the Hayden Cartwright Act, up until the 1980s, forced us to do so. So we've been doing this since the 1930s. Congress obviously knew we were doing it when we wrote the 4R Act. And yet, Nobody ever complained. Congress knew exactly.
0: Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Phillips, you have five minutes remaining.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, Just a a few quick points. Um, First of all, uh, with respect to the reason why the States didn't challenge these tax exemptions earlier, uh, for some of us it's relatively easy to remember what the price of fuel oil was back in the 1970s. It was somewhere in the sort of 10 to 30 cents a gallon range and therefore exemptions of that amount of tax, 1 percent exemption of that amount of tax, is not a whole lot of money. Today, the rates are $4 a gallon, and an exemption under those circumstances, particularly when you have a fixed rate for your major competitor, gives you a more than substantial incentive to uh, bring an action uh, under these circumstances. Uh, the notion that somehow the, the state has gone down this path because of federal law has not been true for at least 15 years. That statute was uh, repealed. And uh, Alabama could have modified its tax however it wanted to and chose uh, not to do so. Justice Alito, your hypothetical, I think, is almost exactly this case because, as my friend uh, indicated, diesel fuel is by far the biggest expense uh, that the railroads have. It's also a very significant expense for the motor carriers, and it is a pretty trivial expense for everybody else. Uh, in the in the state of Alabama,
4: Mr. Phillips, do you agree that uh, that uh, generally applicable produces the same, requires the same inquiry as uh, discriminates?
1: Well, you're ultimately going to have to come down to the same issue, and and the problem is, and and I, the reason why I, I find it hard to accept Justice Kennedy's formulation, which is simply singling out the railroads, because in in ACF the court sort of said, well. You know, we'll hold that out as a possibility. If you're, you know, be one thing if you're just singling them out, but it seems to me that in a statute like B four, where you where you are more broadly and you don't have the B one to B three baggage to deal with property taxes, the idea that you would then limit B four solely to the situation of singling out is is simply so not a fair me a way definition to of
3: discriminate. It. Give me your working dis- can't as I start ask your adversary can't be most favored. Taxpayer status.
1: Right, it has to be that you know, the, the traditional and common understanding of discriminate is that you treat similarly situated individuals differently without without a, an adequate justification. So, what constitutes
3: an adequate justification?
1: Well, it depends on the. It's going to depend on the tax, and and I don't know the answer in this context, it's because as Justice Alito's question reveals, well, it could be that the vast majority gonna, of diesel uh, fuel is. It,
3: you're going to grant an exemption, and you're going to treat someone differently because you're favoring them for a reason. Uh, people don't. States don't do right. these willy nilly. Either some enterprises or some individuals, like the 85-year-old widow, you're sympathetic to her. Um, you want to encourage your water transport because it's an industry that's nascent in your state, and you want it to grow. So it's a pro-competition reason. Are those legitimate?
1: I, I, and if I mean, the those first one, are, I think, would question. I think the second one has more of a problem because I don't think Congress intended to allow you to favor direct competitors of the railroads. When the ultimate effect of that may be to undermine the the financial stability of the railroads. Give
3: me a working principle. What? What does? How do you define? legitimate and illegitimate, assuming
1: I, I would a government reason is
3: always going to be premised on wanting to favor someone for a reason.
1: Right. I, th- I think ultimately the way to analyze this case is what was Congress's ultimate objective? And, and if, the, if, the, if the State's putting forward a legitimate reason that is fully consistent with Congress's overall objective,
3: I don't then know, there's no problem. I, that's the problem, because there were two objectives. One was to promote — equality with local businesses and the other to promote equality Competition
1: among are. the, among carriers. <laughs> right. Which suggests to me that there are two ways to worry about discrimination. Have you singled out other carriers for more favorable treatment? There I think the answer is per se if you do that you lose. If you have — and if you're not in that world and you're talking about different — some other classes, then it seems to me it depends on how far you want to go in terms of how much of an exemption you want to play. But the important part of this is still — and I think the questions to Mr. Mays reflected — is that you should undertake the inquiry to determine whether there's discrimination even if the State happens to use the guise of exemptions as opposed to rate differentials or anything else. There's just nothing special about exemptions that takes it off the table. He proposes that Federalism concerns and that ACF spoke to this issue. ACF said you should not extend the statute beyond its evident reach, reflecting the B-1, B-3, and B-4 relationship, without a clear statement. That's not what we have in this
0: case. Thank you, Mr. Phillips. Counsel? Case is submitted.